I'm Steve, and joining me this week, back for more Cynthia Rothrock, it's Adam Myros. Uh, Steve, I, I, I want to start the episode with a, with a bit of a mea culpa. Uh, I, I need to apologize to fans of, of the films we covered last week, uh, and also fans of martial law. It's all begun to make a lot more sense to me now. Uh, I, I feel like there is, there's an idea of the white guy karate movie. And then there's the reality mm. of the white guy karate movie. And I, I, I wanted this exact thing that we're covering this week. This is what I was clamoring for last week. And mm-hmm. you know what? I fucking, I need to take my medicine and shut the fuck up. Cause, cause th- these white guy karate movies, they suck. They're, they're, they're almost universally <laughs> terrible. And, uh, and they just like, they film enough action sequences to, to sell a VHS on a trailer. And, uh, the rest of the movies are pretty unwatchable. So, uh, yeah, Martial Law and, and both of the Hong Kong films we covered last week, uh, they get an extra bonus star from me just because of uh, how mm. very wretched <laughs> White Guy Karate is, is. Yeah, you know, this is... I'm glad that we're covering the films that we're covering this week because there is a definite way to differentiate between the kind of the, the zany, low-budget... Hong Kong action and like Americanized chop stocky bullshit. And between last week and this week, we are seeing what that divide looks like. And both can be fun in different ways, but uh, certainly in terms of quality of of the fighting and the action you're getting and uh, just pushing the envelope in different ways, you're not going to get that with the American films. But here we are. We're giving Adam Myros what he wants. Oh, Steve, you and Jake, you like, you like, uh, writing wrongs too much. And yes, madam, more like, no, sir, not for me. Yeah, okay. Let's give you what you want. Uh, yeah. My roast. I, I got what I wanted. And I don't, I, I feel like the, the like platonic ideal of what you expect out of a white guy karate movie is like a zero budget roadhouse or something. You're always going in mm. for that. You're like, oh, this is going to be like roadhouse. They got a shit kicker and they're going to kick some shit. And that's the movie. And when you have, like, the baddest human alive in this era, you'd, you'd think you could execute that. But, uh, no. <laughs> well, you go looking for the roadhouse, you end up in the chode house. And joining Chode us house this was week... right there, Steve. It was, it was right <laughs> <No>. there. <laughs> There's no such thing as a chode house, to my knowledge. Uh, well, that's, that's to be debated. And joining us, he's back from Ireland, he's back from COVID. Uh, Jack Eason, what do you think about chode houses? Showhouse, I, I feel the, these movies we're discussing tonight would play really well at one. Mm-hmm, thank you. What thank is it, like you. a they ranch? Again, Adam <laughs> it's, it's a house that's wider than it is long. Yeah, just this uh, single-story ranch. Wait, what I, yeah. So I didn't... The ranch is the chode of the, of the house world. <laughs> I didn't listen to the last episode, so, so Adam, what, the, what did you do? You, you, you oh. shat upon the greats and now we're watching fucking china o'brien this is what happened yeah oh great okay. that's what happened cool. I, me oh. and jake were like these are so much fun they're you know completely off the wall plots all over the place action's amazing they're dark as shit yes for they are no reason at all and we love them and Mars was like ah i don't know ah 
God damn. I mean, and then he's like, I mean, I I had some issues with old Strepsil and aspirin and the the, the fucking hijinks in Yes, Madame. I'll I'll yeah. admit to that, but uh, gotta I, be down I, for the hijinks. Do the hijinks is that's a key part of Hong Kong. That's what the H stands for, hijinks Kong. <laughs> I just was like, oh, you got two yeah. two amazing action stars, and half the movie we're just watching the Three Stooges short, and I was a, a little annoyed by that, I must say, but. Uh, you know, I guess now that I've been presented with the option absent the Three Stooges sketches is just nothing like shots of like <laughs> bumpkins sitting in pickup trucks watching yes, fireworks. Yes, Madame is that great joke where they like pull down the woman's like top to like tie her arms in. It looks like they're going to go feel her up and they actually just want to steal a chicken. I mean, that's cinema. Mm -hmm. That's core cinema. Yeah, you're making it very clear. I can't see how I could have had any issue with these movies. But I'm, I just, all I said was I didn't love either. I think the action is, is solid and it doesn't rise to like top echelon Hong Kong stuff. And uh, there's a lot of tonal dissonance in the films. And I just, I, I wanted a Rothrock movie starring Rothrock where Rothrock was on the screen like 90% of the time kicking fuckers in the face. And, uh, I thought I th I think this is as close as we're gonna get. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is uh, yeah. I mean, this is absolutely the the Roth Rock vehicle. Um, yeah. Uh, jeez, this, this I'd never yeah. seen these before, and somehow I, I'd missed them. And they these are classic '90s DTV action movies. They they have all mm -hmm. of the problems of that, um, which is a shame because you'd look at the talent, and it's funny coming off. Kong, because you got Cynthia Rothrock and you've got Richard Norton, and it's weird seeing Richard Norton actually speaking English. I'm just every time he shows up, I'm just waiting for him to open up for like a ridiculous Cantonese voice dub to come out of him. He's done so much <laughs> Hong Kong work, but uh, I mean, he's he's uh, he can fight. He's pretty good at that. Um, Hong what Kong the hell movies. is his character in these movies? Like, he's, what is he? I think oh, it's amazing. School, he's her high school crush, I think. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. What does okay. he so play? Part... Like, what's his job? Like, he's, no, okay, that's the best man. part. He no, he's not just a man. So they were like high school sweethearts, or uh -huh. rather, he had a crush on her in high school, and then, according to Cynthia Rothrock's dad in China, O'Brien one. Like a special uh, service guy, or is he, no, no, no. Uh, like a he was in the special man. forces, special he was forces, special forces, and then he came back and became a high school math teacher in his hometown. Oh, he's a teacher. But like okay. he's a math. Was he teacher. in the American special forces, or was he in the Australian special forces? And how did he get to Utah? I, like no, all roads, all roads lead back to Utah. In the, well, I'm going to assume that. he was in the American special forces because he was he went to high school in America, right? But I, yeah, I mean, true. you wonder at what point he uh, he just carried he the Australian accent through. Yeah. I mean, this is this is fine. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you know, <laughs> before we get more into whatever the fuck is going on in these movies, uh -huh. <laughs> why why did the China O'Brien films end up the way that they are now? I know you guys are a little harder on these than me. I'm, I was entertained enough. At least really? By the first movie. Yeah. I, I mean, they're fine. They're fine. I agree with the, uh, the review from Variety, which was what, what did Variety call these films? Uh, I, okay, that's a, uh, let's see. Variety called it a okay showcase for Rothrock. There you go. That's that would it. be my exact praise. Ripping well, an praise. okay showcase for pretty much all the martial arts here, but maybe Rothrock a little bit less than the others. Anyways, here's why this movie is the way that it is, or both these movies. 
So we we talked a little bit about this last week, but it, it gets kind of murky when you're talking about what Cynthia Rothrock's first American film is. Uh, we talked about how allegedly, like if you look on Wikipedia, IMDb, it says Martial Law was her first movie. And that may have been the first one to be released, technically. However, I watched some interviews with Cynthia Rothrock, and she said this is her first, like, post-Hong Kong, like, actually filming in America movie that she did. And she was working with Golden Harvest, who she had worked with before. And basically, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We want you to break through in America, so we're going to send you to America. You're going to make two American movies. That's great, because she wanted to come back to America. At that point, she'd been in Hong Kong for three years. Uh, and then she says, okay, you're going to be working with uh, Richard Burton, and you're, you get Norton. director. Uh, yeah, sorry. And <laughs> Very different the movie there. <laughs> different movie. Yeah, Richard Burton, that would be really different. Uh, no, it's, it's a little, little different. Uh, anyways, so then they've got the... Uh, director Robert Klaus, he signs on. He did uh, Enter, Enter the Dragon. He did Game of Death. So he's kind of a big deal. She's excited about that. Gets to work with this guy. Amazing. And then the producer is Fred Weintraub, who did a shitload of action films. And she was familiar with him as well. So this whole thing seems to be setting her up to do a couple of low-budget films so she can kind of break through in America. On top of all of this... They're sending a Hong Kong crew with her to help with the fight coordination and the shoot and all that. That couldn't so, have happened. It happened, believe it or not. Here's what happened, though. <laughs> the plane crashed. <laughs> now, there's two, two major issues. One, they, uh, because you, you may have noticed, China O'Brien, China O'Brien 2, both released in 1990. They were shot back to back, pretty obviously. Um, the movies were shot in six weeks. Okay, two movies, six weeks, which is kind of an aggressive schedule. Also, when you're making a movie in Hong Kong, Cynthia Rothrock said she had never really looked at a script. Like she would just show up in the big, okay, here's who you are. Here's what you're doing. And then we need you to do this fighting stuff. And then she would say, okay, cool. And they would work out the fight scenes and she would do them and everything else in between. They would pretty much just tell her because, you know, it's not like the film was in English. She, it didn't matter what she said, as long as she knew what she was supposed to be doing and like, you know, the general idea behind the scene, she was fine. And she did fine. Now here, she shows up and she's trying to, you know, cram this, this script in. She had never uh, like really acted before and, and, you know, spoken her native English while <laughs> acting. So that was a big problem. The second problem they ran into is because they were shooting the films back to back, I guess, you know, the director would be like, okay, so we're going to, we're going to shoot this scene from the second film here just because we can. And she would be like, I literally haven't even read this yet. So she would just be like cramming in lines right before. And then they were constantly changing things and also trying to be as opportunistic as humanly possible. So like the whole parade thing, they orchestrated that at the last second, uh, in one of the China O'Brien movies, I don't remember which one it is, if it's one or two. There's a scene where I don't it's like a party or something and everybody's like eating and they decided to shoot this scene just from the hip. And all of that is just their catering on set. So all of this is just is just haphazard, zero budget. And Fred Weintraub, the producer, is constantly cutting things back more and more and more and more. So already just no money and they're getting less and less and less. 
And so you have all this going on. She doesn't know what's going on. And that's China O'Brien. See you on Cinemax. <laughs> this uh, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's really funny because generally speaking, you you associate American cinema with much more generous shooting uh, schedules and money, but that only kicks in at certain tiers of of development. So it's really funny because I believe like six weeks to produce both of these. I think Cynthia Rothrock's fight with Karen Shepard in Writing Wrongs took about six weeks to film on its yeah. own. Writing uh, Wrongs took seven months yes. to film. She actually had to leave China O'Brien. I believe she actually she left the set for about two or three weeks. Um, or, or maybe it might have been a post-shoot or something, like, while they were still in the middle of it. But, like, she had to go back to Hong Kong, I believe, to do some reshoots. Yeah, she had to reshoot the new ending for Writing Wrongs mm-hmm. after they, they had to do a, a... They had to change the ending for mainland China and for some other territories to make it less totally nihilistic. <laughs> so so you know um but yeah it, it's just it's really weird to watch this movie there, there's a couple of key elements to china o'brien that are kind of disappointing and frustrating um and and i guess it's chiefly the, the one that strikes me first of all you, you've mentioned why rothrock had difficulty getting into a character and a role because she never she was used to post-synced sound. She was used to just really focusing on her actions. She never had to deliver a real performance on screen, you know, other than looking tough, which she, she did admirably mm-hmm. in, in films like Writing Wrongs and Millionaire's Express and various other, those kind of like bit parts in Hong Kong. Um, but the thing of what's, that's weird in this movie is that they've really, like she's, her being a woman really gets in the way here. And it's not her fault. Uh, she is very heavily feminized in this film. If you compare Cynthia Rothrock's appearance and presence in Writing Wrongs or Yes, Madame versus this, they've done a lot more work on like her makeup and her hair is longer. She's, you know, categorized like she she hangs out with her dad. You know, there's there, you know, she's got her old boyfriend or ex flame. Uh, there's all these elements at play in China O'Brien to kind of soften her and make her more of like a woman in, you know, 90 cinema parlance, which kind of sucks because that's not why you're tuning into a Rothrock movie. Like, is it like she was one of the only women, frankly, of, of that era and that career who uh, guys weren't tuning in just because they thought she was hot. Like she, you know, Cynthia Rothrock was there. She kicked ass and she did it really, really well. She was an incredibly gifted martial artist in reality. And you tuned in to see that in the movies. And she's kind of, like, thrown into this movie. They've, like, made gl- given her, like, a glow-up. And then, honestly, she's kind of upstaged by everyone else. They've got uh, Keith Cook and Richard Norton, frankly, fight just as well, if not better. I swear they might even have more time, particularly by the time we get to, like, China O'Brien 2. Um, I, I don't... It's just... It's for this to be, like, showcase... The, like, the Cynthia Rothrock showcase, in a lot of ways, these movies are. Like, she's the lead actress... I feel like they really, they screwed up, like, and they screwed many things up in this movie, but like the <laughs> fundamental of Rothrock's presence, she feels like she is wrong footed in her own movie to me in a lot of, in a lot of places. And it's just, it just kind of sucks because, you know, you're coming right off, you know, imagine watching Riding Wrongs and just the high of those insane fights and this insane stunt choreography. And then China O'Brien just looks like two people just kind of like throwing shit at each other in a parking lot. Like it just, 
you know, it's there. You can see they're, they're martial artists. You know, you can see they've got the flexibility and the speed, but the setting and the choreography and the, the mm-hmm. framing of every fight is just so utterly mundane. It's just, it's lame. It sucks. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just <laughs> it's it's a bad movie. Uh, I don't know what Steve sees in it exactly, but I, for me, I'm like looking at it like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, I, I, again, maybe it's part of that feminization process thing to make her like, because she's a cop, but she's also a teacher. Uh, because maybe that's a more uh, womanly job in the '90s, because she's a karate instructor in this whole like opening sequence where she's like calling out every fucking move she does and it's like the lamest goddamn introduction that, that to a character like almost like that's almost a good joke like i mean it kind of you know there's a humor there she thinks she's in like a training like she's teaching because she thinks it's just a bunch of hoods that she's organized to fight but it turns out that actually no they're all really dangerous and it's a real fight and she's like oh no and then she just pulls a gun which she apparently brought to what she thought was like showcase test thing uh, and just and just mm-hmm. pegs a kid just like blasts the kid in the head and then she feels bad so she has to go back to utah from the big city i'm not sure which big city she's in uh but yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know she's yeah she goes to what's the big city in utah she goes to fucking park city <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't like and that whole sequence too uh well Again, maybe they had the kernel of an idea that could have been humorous, but the way it's executed, it's fucking awkward as hell. And also, that entire fight sequence is shot in fucking horrendous lighting. You can't see anything (laughs) that's happening the entire time. It is one of the the, the downsides of it, and it's hard to say because, I mean, we watched like it was a standard definition copy in full frame. Um... I think it's open mat what what we watched. It didn't look like it was cut off on each side. I'm not 100% sure, but like it doesn't look great. Maybe, you know, you always watch these things and you're like, well, maybe, you know, a nice restored copy and proper aspect ratio might reveal something. But, you know, I, do, I don't think so, honestly, in this case. You know, but I'm going to put this at about approximately 100 millionth on the restoration queue, as far as I'm <laughs> sure. concerned. It reminds me that, like, 90s American DTV action movies, I feel like, have two metrics that you can score them by. Because, frankly, you kind of know the action is going to suck in them. There's, like, exceptions that prove the rules, like Steve Wang's drive is, like, monumentally good choreography in a DTV action movie. Um, you know, most of them, they're slow, they're stagey, they'd never have enough time. They're normally so loaded with fights, there's no room for anything else, but it means that all the fights are completely generic. So 90s DTV American movies, for me, they always fall into like one or two categories that you kind of like, that will kind of forge whether or not you really enjoy them or not. Uh, step one is pseudo-futuristic bullshit which is a lot of them are, like, you know, set in the future and they have, like, robots and shit, and you got, like, uh, what was the Nicole Egerton movie we watched? I don't remember, The Exterminator. I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> yeah, right? I think that might be it. The yeah, Exterminator. Something, something like that. Something generic, right? But that that's one that, like, hits on our, like, TC2000, you know, the Billy Blanks movie. These are films that hit and register on the pseudo-futuristic bullshit level. They make up a bunch of futuristic-y nonsense. They got robots and cyborgs and things. It's kind of fun. It distracts you from the fact that mostly the movie's not much else is happening, right? 
This movie obviously doesn't have that, it's just a cop movie. So it falls back on the other thing that can rescue these DTV movies, which is location shooting. They're kind of time capsules, it's a kind of inadvertent function of any kind of a movie, it just kind of captures a time and a place. This is something that can be useful, we recently discussed like Cloak and Dagger, which had kind of like cool footage of like downtown San Antonio. Um, I think it's sort of like Fire Down Below, the Steven Seagal movie, which is mostly a piece of shit, but there's lots of beautiful footage of Kentucky. Um, this kind of has that. It's kind of got like nice footage of Utah, but that's really like uh, this is these are the depths I'm having to go to to categorize anything in this movie that I'm finding like to respond to. Because as we break down into the plot and the action, like I watched this movie two days ago, I am struggling to remember anything that happened in it. It didn't help that I watched China O'Brien as a double bill with it with China O'Brien two. Don't do that. That's my brain was fit to melt by the end of it. But uh, you know, th th these are these are the the metrics of of DTV. You know, pseudo futuristic bullshit. Nice locations. This goes nice locations, but it still just kind of looks like ass. It's mostly still just like, um, you know, solid Americana. But honestly, I can just look outside my window for that now. So mm. yeah, it it doesn't. It's not like distinctly. <laughs> Of a place like to me, it just it's like generic small town America. Like, yeah, there's some I, mountains at the, at the start, and then it's just kind of like yeah, it's just a bunch of weird rallies. You got a weird Trumpian tone to it. There's a bunch of like political yeah. rallies followed by violence, which has actually become just the norm now. So that's great. Yeah, I couldn't really get a feel for like what like what size of town or city or whatever <laughs> the fuck she's supposed to be in because she's got like this rally of like. You know, a few hundred people, and then she's running for sheriff, and I'm like, well, that's probably, like, more than enough people to win the, the local sheriff's election right there, just standing at this parade. <laughs> it didn't tell the vein of corruption in this small town is incredible. I mean, there's, like, what does the bad guy do? I, like, I don't even know what exactly his whole scheme is, but he's sewn up like he's got the, the one of the deputies is in his pocket, and the judge... It's just, and they all just gather, all his henchmen gather in this one club and just do villainy. And that's just, like, this is the kind of, it's the kind of location that scans, kind of, if, you know, you go to, like, a New York or an L.A. and, you know, you just, like, seedy streets and you do, you know, a bunch of, you know, like, neon signs reflected in puddles and things like that, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, it's a, you know, a den of iniquity or whatever. But who's, you know, this is, it's just like a fucking two-light town. <laughs> How does this place develop? Who I knows? mean, what what do most crooked capitalists do, Jack? Who the fuck could tell you? I don't know. They just that, no. Them. That's and this is this is the charm of the movie for me. I'm not okay. going to stand here. I'm not going to defend the the fighting or the way it looks or the way it sounds or any of the acting. You know, all the things that compose good or even functional cinema. But I I just I love the chintziness of it and and the conviction behind it. So, God, the fucking plot of this is just ripped out of, like, a generic Western. It's like, hmm, evil millionaire who owns a logging company is doing villainy in a town of five people where everyone is on his murderous payroll. Like, <laughs> where is he get? where are all these, like, thugs and ne'er-do-wells coming from? Where is he getting all the henchmen? It's right, like, at this, at this point, say. like, if you have this much just raw support in a small community, just become mayor and make what you want policy. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. require any of this other stuff. Well, no, instead <laughs> he's, like, buying the judge, and he's, like, 
and, and that he's doing murders all the time. <laughs> it's a real like Twin Peaks thing. Like Twin Peaks is like, oh shit, they killed Laura Palmer. But here it's just like, no, they kill a Laura Palmer every 10 minutes. Well, yeah, when you, just, when you bomb. Every single woman in the movie has been like forced into the, you know, <laughs> middle of nowhere Utah sex trade where there's a, a fucking brothel. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, okay. and who, who's attending the brothel? Like their husbands? Who, who lives here? What's happening? Who lives uh, here? Again, the exactly. scope of the place, it's just lost a, a bit. Uh, maybe it's a rather large metropolis. I can't fucking tell you. Uh, but I... I don't know this movie to me it has like one of the hallmark things i look for in like dtv is this sort of spare economy of storytelling where it's just like yeah it is gonna have this roadhouse thing or whatever where it's just like oh this guy's here to clean up town the end that's all the fucking plot you require for such a thing now they're just gonna do some karate and it's like okay but this like sets that up. She she rolls into town and immediately is like, "I'm a badass and I'm going to this club filled with ne'er do wells." And I'm like, "All right, yeah, exactly what we want." And then it just takes like an hour off <laughs> before she like goes and cleans up the club. We just like, I don't give a shit about your family or this fucking parade or your election. It's just like, <laughs> who gives a fuck? I just want to see you beat the fuck out of the crooked. I, I think she's got a really strong political campaign because she's just putting up posters everywhere that say elect China sheriff. Yeah, it's just it's just as well. She's not <laughs> Soviet cool O'Brien because I don't think her campaign would have gone <laughs> yeah. quite as well in the 80s. Probably wouldn't have gone too well. Uh, well, and, and the whole reason in case you're, you have not watched a China O'Brien movie, which you may find to be quite difficult because. God, these were harder to fucking find than we thought they would be. I assumed they would just um, be on Tubi or something, but apparently yeah, not. Uh, They're tied up for something. Oh, uh, these are you really got to dig them out here. But uh, it, so the whole idea is China O'Brien after whoops a daisy shooting a kid, uh, as cops tend to do, turns in her badge and her gun, goes to small town Utah to move back in with her dad. Uh, Turns out that she, you know, there's all this stuff going on with the evil logging company and and whatnot. And then her dad finally decides, well, I guess we're gonna have to call in the feds. I'm gonna talk to my guy at the FBI. And evil logging man, he he gets wind of this. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it one bit. So he sets not one but two car bombs blowing up China O'Brien's dad and his like number one deputy guy. Uh, which then China O'Brien decides to run for sheriff to clean up the town. A uh, couple of things to note here. Specifically, one, they just commit these two humongo murders and no one seems to give a shit because, again, just crime murder. These are just things that happened in uh, a town of a couple hundred people. And also, isn't it fucked up that China O'Brien's dad looks exactly like Frazier's dad, John Mahoney? <laughs> there, is, there is an uncanny resemblance <laughs> there. It really was bothering me because I was like, oh, shit, it's John Mahoney. And then I went on IMDb. I'm like, it's not John Mahoney. That's fucking bullshit. Got a, He's working under a pseudonym. Got a gammy <laughs> leg from his, his car bombing and he had to move to Seattle back in with his real yeah. family. Now, uh, another thing that's interesting, because in between the major set pieces, which take place in the beginning of China O'Brien and the end of China O'Brien and same with China O'Brien, too, you get a lot of bullshit. Oh, and you sure bullshit do. time in China O'Brien when, you know, we get to watch all these montages of her running for political office. The only thing that I think is is 
really worth discussing is the fact that China O'Brien in her home, or actually, I guess it's her dad's home. There's, there's two pictures. Okay. Picture number one, it's China O'Brien holding a bow and arrow. Picture number two, it's China O'Brien with her dad, who's not John Mahoney, holding a bow and arrow. <laughs> and these are like prominently this is a bow featured. and arrow family. It's amazing because you're like, okay, it's so obvious. Like it's just in the center of the frame. Like China O'Brien's head is just cut off, but there's fucking her with the with the bow and arrow. And you're like, all right, well, she's clearly going to be in a situation like this is Chekhov's bow and arrow. Doesn't pay off in the first movie. And then you get about 90 way, 90% of the way through the second movie. And it finally, she's like, okay, we got to do this quietly. As she takes out a bow and arrow, you're like, fuck yeah, she's just going to kill people with a bow and arrow like Rambo and shit. And she doesn't. She kills one henchman with one arrow and it's super underwhelming and lasts three seconds and you never see the bow and arrow again. It's just really powerful stuff and kind of a, a good way to describe this entire series where you think it's going to be something but it never really adds up to what they're promising. Yeah, the first movie go. is Roadhouse, second movie is Assault on Precinct 13, but unfortunately that's just the last 10 minutes of both films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and you know, China O'Brien does have a great supporting cast. We mentioned uh, Richard Norton, the Australian karate hunk who plays her love interest slash partner, BFF, whatever. And then there's young Dakota. And uh, Dakota is played by Keith Cook. And this is great too because it's just like everything else in this movie, it's so like just stock generic. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So Dakota is a Native American boy who (laughs) rides like a motorcycle dirt bike and has one functioning hand and is really good at karate and barely talks. Uh, Now Things that are noteworthy about Dakota in both China O'Brien 1 and China O'Brien 2 is, one, he is given better like fighting showcase pieces than Cynthia Rothrock, uh, or Richard yes. Norton for that matter, yeah. and he looks better He's than everyone. absolutely the breakout star of someone else's movie. Mm-hmm. He's such a breakout Second, star that his fucking most famous role after this is playing one of the masked men in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he plays Reptile, and he plays in the second Mortal Kombat movie. He plays Sub Zero, uh, but okay. So, so there's that that he's really good. Second, it, you spend most of the first China O'Brien movie just being like, "What the fuck is on his arm?" I thought he was wearing like a cool like bracelet or something, <laughs> and then it gets worse because in the second movie, they uh, they modify it slightly, <laughs> but it looks like he just has a giant microphone attached to his hand. He's got the box. So he's going to interview someone, but he just clubs him with it. It's American microsurgery but, at its finest. Yeah, so what, what happens is, and we find this out, like, pretty late into the first film, what happened is uh, his mom had been sold, or he went to go visit his mom or something, hadn't seen her in a while, heard she was at this bar, turned out he was sold into the, the uh, you know, Fucking woodcutters, sex. His mom, who isn't Native American, (laughs) but got sold into prostitution. Which she's actually a redhead. Yeah, which which you think would like be an easy cut back into like issues or you know like his 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 identity. No, I guess his his dad is on the Native American side or whatever. It's just it's just not. Is he also an O'Brien? Because she's looking pretty (laughs) pale and red haired. 
And he's um, a star athlete of some sort. Uh, I don't no, know. No, he's not an athlete. He's a he's a star motorcycle boy. He races motorcycles. Oh, that's and a thing. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I clipped some things from the paper about your motorcycle race. It's like the fuck you did. No one's writing about that. Steve, but, motorcycle racers are athletes. Come on. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My mistake. Uh, they if you, if you can get a sponsorship from Monster Energy, you're you're an athlete. So. I believe that wholeheartedly. But anyways, he fucks around trying to like save his mom or whatever. He can't save his mom. And then some of the the woodcutter thugs like step on his hand. And I guess that's why he's got a microphone hand now. <laughs> it's it's um, a really funny like mixing because I believe what happened was like Keith Cook broke a finger uh, in the run up to the film or in the early stages of shooting. I don't, I don't know which. But uh, so he, he was down a hand. He couldn't he couldn't fight with that hand. So I guess mm-hmm. so they decided Obviously, the best thing to do was to bring that into the narrative, which, okay, fair enough. So they disabled one hand in the film. But the concept that he would have the guy stands on his hand and breaks it and makes his hand irreparably, you know, not usable, that the solution that would be that he would wear a big, huge, like, lug nut bracelet and then have, like, a garbage <laughs> bag just taped over his hand for all time. It never comes off. That's just his solution to his hand being fucked is just like what the hell is happening it doesn't make any sense he just why would he, did he have a prosthetic hand why didn't he just let it have a cast and just say his hand was broken from motorcycle racing i well it, it, and he has like a a peg attached to it that hooks into his bike or something it's like god damn it this is so stupid I mean, again, it would be it would be one thing if it was like, oh, we got this one arm martial artist or something, but it's like, no, this <laughs> this this doesn't look even remotely convincing at any stage. It's just like looks like fucking Happy Gilmore or something. It's that convincing. <laughs> it's it's, fake yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like you may as well have been like his bad. hand got eaten by an alligator. Like yeah. that that absolutely would scan as credibly as anything that's offered in the film. Um, uh, his his character is also like the. Because, like, there's just, there's an inertness to these films. And it's typical of a lot of these movies. They have so much action in them. And Chino O'Brien's a little shorter on the action than some of the other ones, like the, your martial laws or whatever. Um, which, you know, just like, like every, like, they, they're scared to not have, like, every other scene is, is just some guys kicking the shit out of each other. Like, they have to have action, action, action. You know, which, which is actually kind of a problem in and of itself, you know. As much as the action is the showcase, it's why people are watching the movie. If it's, you know, just unfiltered, constant action, it makes it really difficult to keep things memorable or keep a story functioning at all. Chino O'Brien tries to bring in the story. Like, they really do try and lean on, like, our hometown roots and, you know, fighting big injustice and, you know, a real change of character and stuff. But it's just, it never works because everyone in this movie who isn't who who isn't the bad guy is just so unequivocally boringly good at all <laughs> times including Dakota or you know supposedly like you know moody you know indigenous american like you know loose cannon and like at certain points he wanders off on his own and and uh Cynthia Rothrock and, and Richard Norton's characters are both like oh no you know what's it? do we got to find Dakota he's going to do something crazy he never does anything particularly crazy. He, there's no fear like he's, you know, as a vigilante, he's like, I'm a vigilante, I'm gonna get you arrested. Like, it's it's this incredibly boring, rote thing. Like, and it just, it robs uh, the Jack, film of I, any kind of energy. 
<clears throat> I'm going to have to disagree with you. Uh, Dakota is he's committing a serious crime. Yeah, you know, statutory like, at the end rape. Of the first movie. <laughs> yeah, statutory <laughs> rape. Exactly. <laughs> he gets deputized at the end of the first movie, and by the second movie, he better fucking arrest himself because <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. How, here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. I'd forgotten this element already. In the already. first film, Dakota is an adult. We yes. can all agree on yeah, that. Sure. He's an adult. Okay? And even though the, the movies were filmed back-to-back over the course of six weeks, in the China O'Brien universe, they take place two years apart. So we can say, <laughs> unequivocally, at the very least, Dakota is 20. However, I would argue, because he's hanging out in the bar uh that is in this town this town has one bar where all the the evil bad guys hang out in the first movie he's hanging out in that bar i would say he's at least 21 in the first well, movie well, which would make him that... 23 in the second movie that's true because what yeah he's a flashback when he gets his arm busted and they make a comment that he can't drink yet so he's definitely mm. under 21 then but you're right he's hanging out in the bar later on yep uh so yeah yep. yeah so he's he's got so i would say at a minimum he is 23 and he's dating a 16-year-old. Yeah, they're like, mm. this This guy's dad's like, well, I know you don't approve of Dakota. It's like, well, I wonder why the fuck you don't approve of this. I mean, if a 16-year-old is a 23-year-old on a fucking motorcycle? Are you kidding me? Oh, it's good. I'm it's... polishing up the shotgun. Well, he's a good, he's a good guy, all in all. It's fine. This is Mormon country, right? So, uh, I mean, eh, all bets are off. Yeah. Um. I, I guess I guess that's true. This is a Utah thing. So wait, let me uh, real quick Google age of consent in Utah. <laughs> Maybe uh, you don't want to Google that. <laughs> I, I don't. I, it's probably like nine. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, regardless of the actual legality of the thing, it, it sure is a very strange like character flourish. <laughs> it, it is. It is weird. It is, and there's no. There's no reason no. there's no reason no. age of consent in utah is 18 and there's a 10 year acceptable age difference there so um good good to know dakota. yeah good to know so dakota definitely is a lawbreaker which is fine because like i say yeah, everything else is just like he, he, there's just no there's no dramatic modulation to this film at all like even when his dad when her dad dies this big explosion and she there's a scene where she, it's really kind of awkward scene, but I guess maybe, maybe it's real, you know, or realistic enough where, where the car explodes and it's just bathed in flames and Cynthia Rothrock just has to like run around the car for like 40 seconds. Like it's just an uncomfortably long shot of her not being able to obviously do anything because the car is ablaze and she would hurt herself. But in character, you're kind of going like, would you just stand back? Would you try and do something? Would you... Like, I don't know, it's just, it's just a really weird kind of a, a shot in the film. Um, and yet it is absolutely the dramatic fulcrum of the entire, entire thing, because after that it's just like, well, mm -hmm. I guess we better, you know, buckle up and take out the bad guys through electioneering, and that's the first step. And then, <laughs> and then when that starts getting a little bit troubled by, they have like a five-day emergency election. Who, who is having an emergency election they're putting out to the general public with a five-day turnaround. I, uh, th that's the other thing with the Richard Norton stuff that was really confusing me. I mean, I get it. We got to we got to make a movie here, people. But <laughs> Richard Norton, this guy who is in the special forces or whatever, and uh, his his childhood crush has come back into town, swearing off police work. I don't want to touch guns. I had a bad incident when I was a police officer. And why isn't he say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to run for sheriff. I'd be perfect for this job. I, 
You know, instead he encourages this traumatized woman to <laughs> to take up the mantle for some reason. He just he just wants to be the first the first husband of of Park City, Utah. It is. I have a question for you guys. Yes. Okay. So, not a lot of big lingering questions in this movie for me. Like it's it's pretty straightforward. I, the, some of the stuff, like the logistics of how are there so many henchmen in this town and this that and the other thing. Okay, I'll I'll put that aside. One thing that's been bothering me though, who is the woman that lives in China O'Brien's house with her and her dad? Because that's not her mom. Who who is that woman? Uh, why is it not her mom? It's not her mom. Because they, they call her by her first name, both her dad and, and China O'Brien. Uh, well, what would her and, dad call her? And also, also, again, in, in, in the fucking pictures, there's no pictures of, like, the wife and, the, and, and she's not like, oh, mom. She's like, oh, fucking Gail, or whatever her name is. When, why, why would she call her mom by her first name? Maybe it's uh, China O'Brien's live-in au pair who they liked so much they just kept her around. <laughs> in Provo, Utah. And then she like, she just kind of like disappears in the second movie. She's just not spoken of. Yeah. But like, what 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 the fuck? And and she and all the time, China runs like, oh, dad's all I had. Me and dad, 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 dad. What, what about this lady who cooks for you? Who who is this? Is this your your fucking your maid? You got a maid in Utah with your sheriff dad? Which I, I don't know. I, well, which brings up the ending, I suppose, because that's kind of what I thought at first was. The ending is, of course, again, this is, it's all condensed into 10 minutes of action, but, uh, yeah, they, they catch the bad guy, the end, of course, but they're walking the bad guy away and some random woman shoots him. <laughs> like, literally, <laughs> I was, I was like, I didn't think I wasn't paying attention to the movie to some extent, and I was like, who the fuck is that supposed to be? Like, just a woman pops out of nowhere and shoots the guy, and I'm like, "Is that a character yeah. in this movie?" <laughs> so I was I like, like it because I thought at first maybe the, it was the it was the mother." I'm like, "Oh, I guess that must be." Who it is. It's like it's like the idiot version, like a throwback to the end of uh, "Yes, Madam." Like it's, it's there's it doesn't have any weight behind it or or like real like uh, dire consequences. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. I thought at first that woman was. Dakota's mom like she just been because they show her a couple times throughout the movie and she's just a lady chained to a bed but then upon further examination it's like no those are two totally different people she's just a lady who was chained to a bed aha uh -huh, yeah and then she shoots her. great uh, it's a character you would not, never remember uh, again they have characters who could fit this role they have Dakota's mother they have this high school friend of, of China O'Brien's who's like kind of an informant for a while but they they make a point of killing her off for whatever reason when you if you wanted to do this ending well there's a character to do it with someone who's actually had like a scene where they said a word that the audience would recognize <laughs> it's like no, no no and somehow that's the less mystifying of the two endings of these films but so so really that. like i mean i think this is a good point to to swing into just a general commentary on robert klaus because klaus wrote both of these films. He's credited as screenplay writer for both of them. There are um, other people credited for China O'Brien too. Uh, the story is credited to Sandra Weintraub, who's Fred's uh, uh, wife, and also directed 
on the Vinegar Syndrome um, release of Writing Wrongs that just came out, they have one of the, the old 90s martial arts compilation. I can't remember what it's called, like the Amazing World of Kung Fu or something. Um, you know, which is like basically a clip reel of like Golden Harvest and Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies. Uh, Sandra Weintraub directed that. It was because her and Fred were like spearheading this Hong Kong revival in, in American cinema in New York. Um, so So it's got those credentials, but Robert Klaus is noted as like he wrote both of these films and directed both of them and robert klaus is just this fascinating character to me because he is we were discussing this prior to this this recording you know klaus has worked with some of the biggest names in international action obviously bruce lee but also jackie chan and cynthia rothrock and he's he's worked bola young various other you know he's like he's he's the east east meets west guy he's like the the american director who got to work with all these incredible Hong Kong talents and so far as I can tell he has no aptitude for shooting action at all not not in the slightest I don't see it at all and it kind of like uh, like entered the dragon to a certain degree fair enough he was in Hong Kong and he was surrounded by the absolute cream of Hong Kong action cinema who were able to I think you know work, work most of stuff out but like he seems to have no other vested kind of ability in this. And it really, like, it showcased in this movie. This movie has, um, the fight choreography in, like, China O'Brien 1 is done by just some guy named, like, Nigel, who's apparently a sculptor, primarily. That's his, uh, his main profession. <laughs> he appears, he's... Uh, oh, sculpting karate masterpieces. <laughs> he's, he's, um, he's Cynthia Rothrock's student in the opening scenes of the film. So he, he has a small scene at the start of China O'Brien, I don't know what his credentials are to be a fight choreographer. I guess he's just a martial artist. But like, so he's choreographing it, but it seems like Robert Klaus's entire goal is just like, you know, I'll just, I'll get it on camera. Like I'll put the camera in a place and we'll be in focus and that, that'll be the fight. Like there's no, there's no pep to these fights. They're fully just like, it is a person kicking another person and you could see it on screen and that's it. That's the whole layout. And all the fight choreography is, is so mind-numbingly simple compared to like frankly even like c and d tier hong kong movies do crazy shit all the time like they they would be so like this is stuff as i've seen made for tv hong kong movies from the 60s that have more advanced fight choreography than this film you know stuff that was like literally made up like on the fly probably gonna like thursday night just quick done um it, it, I just, I don't understand how Robert Klaus came to be in the position he is in. He, he's just, and these, and then China O'Brien 1 and 2 are his, uh, not quite his last films. I believe it's his final quadrilogy of films before he, he passed. Fucking Jim Carter. Jim Carter, China O'Brien <laughs> 1 and 2, Carter. and then Ironheart starring Bolo Young. Uh, like, uh, what, a, what an incredible layout but i mean he he spearheaded jackie chan's launch into america with uh, battle creek brawl which is shit it's not a good movie at all admittedly i'm sure there's many other reasons for you know it not to have worked uh but like you know and america wasn't ready for jackie chan it, it probably never would have worked anyway fair enough but like the movie itself is like it's not good jackie chan doesn't look good in it uh, you know, Jackie Chan specifically said afterwards that he wished he had been allowed to direct the action because it probably would have been a lot better, and it would have been. Jackie Chan couldn't direct action that poorly. Um, 
it's just so strange. How did he get here? I don't, I don't understand what's happening. And I know, and and the fact that he worked with literally the most talented uh, action star fighters of the 1970s and 1980s, every single one he worked with. Some of them he worked with extensively, and he worked with people in the Hong Kong film industry. And somehow, just by like osmosis or by accident, he didn't. He never absorbed anything that would help him elevate a fight scene above pedestrian. Yeah, is, it just in it's, and of it's, itself is a feat. He made Jackie Chan boring. That's incredible. It's amazing. It's it's incredible. And it, like it, it does seem to me that he is. And I mean, he made some non, you know, Hong Kong films or non martial arts movies. I mean, he's uh, the Amsterdam Kill. It's like a, it's a Robert Mitchum film, for example. I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure Robert Mitchum doesn't fucking do Kung Fu. I'm pretty sure that would be an impossibility. Um, he has a feeling like he's an old school kind of director. And I think maybe he got caught at a time when certainly Hong Kong, Bruce Lee was like part of a radicalization of Hong Kong action cinema. And I think he just, I don't know how he got brought in. He, he seems like he's old school, even in America. And he somehow was like, brought in on the, the Hong Kong new wave and, and had no part in it whatsoever. He contributed nothing so far as I could see. Um, and, but he's very like story nuts and bolts kind of feel. And China O'Brien one and two really get weighed down with it because he, you know, he clearly wrote these to have like dramatic arcs for all of the characters, particularly for China O'Brien herself. But none of it works because there's, like I've mentioned, there's no, there's no nuance, there's no complexity, there's no, there's no shading to the characters. Like China O'Brien is just unequivocally a good person. Her friend, played by Richard Norton, is is unequivocally a good guy. Dakota just he does what's right ultimately, unless it's your teenage daughter. And it's other than that, it's it's like <laughs> so there, there's no there's no shading of anything. So his but he still dedicates enormous amounts of screen time to these plot beats that then don't pan out to anything. You're just kind of like checking your watch and just like, come on, get to the part where they, you know, where, where they're pushed over the edge and they got to go take action. Like, hurry the hell up. Um, it's, it's a little better in China O'Brien 2, I think, because China O'Brien 2, the opening at least has some like zany stuff. But then the movie oh, again God. just stops dead for like an hour to, to kind of like, drum up the story i have no pro tolerance for zany stuff like this is the point in the movie where i was like oh this is gonna be wretched like well, there's that memorable things uh, you know like uh, the stripper assassin like that's something okay uh, stripper assassin kicked ass all right why are we making a rated r movie <laughs> where there's, there's a stripper assassins wearing like granny panties <laughs> Like, is this movie rated R? Yeah. Because there's no blood, there's no swearing, and there's no nudity. I Why is it rated R? I was like, this movie really wants to have nudity. Why doesn't it? Rated R. <laughs> no, it's what? Because like both of these movies are like 18s in Britain, and this is because the, the reactionary, like anti-martial arts movement in Britain, like these both these movies are like 18s rated, and you look at them and they're like literally yeah, nowadays you could put both of them on TV and no one would bat an eye. You could put them on daytime yeah, without TV. without a single edit. Yeah, yeah, no, nothing. You wouldn't have to remove anything. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the stripper assassin is really funny because she, she strips to weird rap music. Uh, they, she, like, she strips to like oh, yeah. early 90s rap for some reason. And she takes almost all, like strips down to her lingerie and then just pulls a gun out and shoots the guy. And it's like, why did yeah. you bother taking your clothes off? You're already in the room with him on your own. Just shoot him and leave. 
I, what was the point I mean, of the I think it's tease? a pretty sick way to die. Like, if you're going to go, that's the way to go. My only note for, for this scene is I think it's dumb that she just, like, takes the gun out of a bag as opposed to, like, pulling out of her butt crack at the end, which would have been, been cooler. Something. We, we also have the amazing uh, magician assassination scene, which is really, <laughs> which is really fucking funny, funny. because it's like it's a magic trick and it's a guy getting put in like, you know, one of those 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 like cases and they're going to, you know, normally in every magic trick on Earth, you put swords into the box, you know, and it's like, oh, the person's getting stabbed with swords, but it turns out they're OK. No, this is some weird magic place where they shoot the sword with a gun in front of a live audience. Do you imagine the liability insurance of like, I'm just going to discharge a revolver a couple of times and the magician isn't in on this. It's someone swapped it out for a real gun. So he really shoots the guy. It's no, like, that's oh. not even it's more complicated than that, Jack. It's, oh, it's just a, that there's an assassin backstage who fires a separate gun at the same time. Oh, he fires a separate gun. Oh, there you go. So that's. Cause yeah, cause, but the magician was using a gun, right? He was going yes. to shoot it. He wasn't going to use. He wasn't going to use swords like every magician in history Correct. uses. Because guns, like guns, aren't really magical. You, like, there's no mystique to a gun. Why uh, didn't they just make it the magician? Because why? How would this assassin know that the, the judge would be selected for the magic <laughs> trick? <laughs> this is the zany like, stuff I can get behind. Where I lose it is like, right. China O'Brien, her, here's a day on the job of China O'Brien, go pick up old bumfuck Charlie who's causing a ruckus down at the old gas station. And instead, like, one of the major action set pieces of this film is, is instead of any sort of karate action, it's just like a fucking Benny Hill thing. But this guy who can't fucking move at all is just like a big, burly, bearded guy in overalls. Like, gets stuck beneath a porch, and she has to, like, fucking pry him out, and they leave it in the thing and just speed it up, and it's like, god damn it, this is so stupid. It's like kidding. the cheapest action, and it's, it counts as an action sequence, because he's, he's mad at Cynthia Rothrock, and yeah. he wants to fight her, and so it's a large sequence of our purported hero just basically wailing on some poor idiot for fucking, feels like, five minutes. And you'd think uh, he'd come back, right? They have this sequence later in the movie where even though they're being assaulted uh, assaulted by this gang of dangerous criminals, she doesn't let the prisoners out of the jail cell <laughs> who are there for simple, like, drunken disorderlies. Uh, but he eventually gets out. There's this long fucking sequence where he's like, the key's in that drawer. And so they get him out, and you're like, oh, he's got he's going to play a role. That's why they set up this, like, bruiser in the beginning. No, he just like breaks out of door and gets fucking blasted in the chest. <laughs> yeah, he gets he gets fucking just drilled with like three bullets immediately. It's it, and it, like it comes back because so China O'Brien too, like we'll we'll move into that. But like it's just like Robert Klaus just strikes me as he's he's got all the pieces in place. Like he wants to make like a solid story film. You know, he he understands that you can't just have action. You need to have some kind of stakes and then he fucking botches every single step of it like these movies are after like like wading through porridge is just the <laughs> pacing on these films is what it feels like cold porridge just like it's not pleasant at all uh, and and again i'm just i'm just blown away like i feel like could they not have just had like maybe Corey yun sure no he's high flying like Corey yun's assistant 
anyone just come over and just kind of focus on making a movie that makes Cynthia Rothrock look cool? Is I this don't. possible? Could they have done that? It's yeah. How hard what, could it be? What's most shocking to me is that in, in mid-shooting, she had to go back to Hong Kong and then willingly came back to America to finish this fucking shit. I, I was. Think I, I, she should just have stayed. Yeah, yeah, no, I was, I was actually looking, um, our friend of the pod, Justin DeClue, uh, has a, a letterboxed review of, by one of these, I don't remember which one, but I thought he made a really good point, um, which is that he, he's not sure, looking at this movie, if people like Cynthia Rothrock are like, when they look at movies like this, are they like, oh my god, I can't believe the fighting and everything looks so crap compared to Hong Kong work. Or do they look at it and they go, oh my god, I can't believe how hard I have to work in Hong Kong compared to this. <laughs> and it's a fair well, it's, question. It's like, telling. Gotta be the trade-off. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's telling too because I would say the most intense or Hong Kong-esque fight scene in this entire series. And that's, I mean, I'm, we're, that's a major qualifier. Like, it, it's, <laughs> it's not on that level. But the closest they get it takes place in like a school gymnasium. So there's, there's like pads and, and stuff on the floor already for them, like wrestling pads and stuff. So they can take bigger falls and it, it's not going to hurt as much. That's a uh, climax yeah, that's, of the first film, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. This one's a lot uh, more gun centric. Oddly again, you have Cynthia Rothrock. Let's, why are we doing this fucking gun movie? I don't know. It's just like, to me, a simple example of like what Jack's talking about with like, narrative choices and how you can like really do the work but you just fuck it up like what is the point of this villain like what am, what am i supposed to feel about this guy like an easy way for them to establish him as this like crazy threat is he has this sequence after he's kidnapped dakota and this family where uh he's like Hey, son, you're pretty good with the feats. Why don't you fight my main thug with your hands tied behind your back? And his thug gets his ass kicked. So you're trying to set up this new threat. This guy's unhinged. The, all you have to do is, is just have the guy kill his thug. It's not like you don't have 700 other fucking pasty white idiots to, to throw in front of bullets <laughs> later. But just have him go... Well, your candy would beat a man with no arms and just fucking blow his head off. That's what you do. And then, you're, and then the audience goes, oh, shit, this guy's for real. Instead, he does nothing, and you're just supposed to think he's sinister because he has a stupid hat. <laughs> like, you could sum up the villain of, of uh, China O'Brien 2 with, he does nothing. Like, yes. he just, he literally, he's, no. like, the entire climax is pretty much just him hanging out with a walkie-talkie. Like, just standing over somewhere. And keeps I, I don't really get what his thing is at all. He's like, you, when you're introduced to him, you're like, oh shit, he looks crazy. He's like Charles Manson and he escaped from prison or some shit. And then they're like, no, what if Charles Manson, instead of being a cult leader, was just like a guy who smoked meth occasionally and like it, <laughs> fucking couldn't find a, a steady job? That That's it. It's just we, we so simple. To take a line or two, just one or two actions to be like, yeah, he's unhinged. Instead, it's like, yeah, he looks like Richard Petty with a hoop earring. <laughs> yeah, like he's yeah. he's very hinged. Yeah, like it's just he's very yeah. just he's just like I guess we mentioned the the, the storyline of China O'Brien too is essentially that a family are in the witness protection program, happen to be living in a, the newly incredibly safe community, uh, sheriffed by China O'Brien, uh, and uh, they get found out, and this 
guy comes for them because I think the guy embezzled money from him or something. He stole money from him. I don't remember uh, the exact plot details. But anyway, uh, so, so yes, it's just he like, stole five million dollars from him and then yeah, turned so, state's evidence. Oh, well, there you go, you know, so, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of with the bad guy on this, honestly, you know, if you're gonna fuck over him, you know, like, it's not like it's, you know, you're just a narc, so, um, but anyhow, uh, that, that's the movie, is, is just this bad guy and his, his incredible, uh, gang of, like, Adam says, just generic guys, and it, what, what irks me about China O'Brien 2, and I, I would say, China O'Brien 2, for long periods, I'm like, this is, it's better than the first one. It feels like, you know, it's, it's got, like, it's, it feels like it's dispensed with all the, like, oh, you know, drama of the first one, you know, the, the, the airs and graces of being a movie with a storyline, you know, and it feels like, no, let's just lean into fights and crazy stuff, you know, like, finally, she gets a bow and arrow, you know, like, it's, we're, we're getting there, and then nothing happens, like, still nothing, <laughs> and it's got all this stuff, like, I mean, you got Billy Blanks is in this. He's credited under the stunts rather than as an actor, which is odd, but he does have a line of dialogue, but he's dubbed. Um, but, like, he's a recognizable, even this early on, Billy Blanks is like, you know, he's, he's that would be very early in his career, I think. But, you know, he's, he's there and he's a competent martial arts performer. We have this dude with, like, literally tiger claws, right? Yeah. Um, there's, and there's, there's at least, you know, a couple other, like, memorable henchmen you think are, like, gonna do something and then every fight involving them is just it's like just three kicks and it's over like nothing happens there's nothing memorable about yeah. it like Tyler Billy Blanks guy must gets have been kicked. on set for like 90 minutes <laughs> yeah it just it just like it sucks so badly that they you know they've delivered nothing of consequence within it and the fight choreography again it's just like it just it just doesn't matter what's happening at any point it becomes very evident early on that there's no particular emphasis on any of the things that happen in this movie so you don't really need to care um it's just it it's just really weird like yeah they have a guy with a whip they have a guy who comes out and he like he does the, you know like drunken master 2 like the final fight where he like you know just stretches his leg really far up into the air while standing you know he's like and you're like oh shit it's the high kicking guy hong kung fu movies gotta have the high kicking guy this is gonna kick ass <laughs> nothing happens it's the exact same fight you've seen 40 times already like it's just so boring and disappointing because i'm looking at all these people going i know they can fight i mean i know cynthia rothrock can i know richard norton can i know uh what's Keith cook can i know billy blanks can why so why is no one doing anything good in these movies i yeah the, it, and the fights are edited to shit in this yes. like like in the finale mm -hmm. you there's like this thing she's fighting maybe it was the high kicking guy maybe it was another of these generic fucking standoffs but it's like there's like an insert shot of him flying through like a piece of drywall with a spotlight behind it that's like clearly not taking place anywhere near where the the fight choreography was occurring and it's uh, like, it kicks ass you can see the wires just like <laughs> pulling him through a hole in the wall it's fucking awesome you, you know that was like a day shooting like in their six weeks that was like a big one and it, it just amounts to nothing like it's just who cares it looks dumb yeah i'm almost surprised this was filmed back to back because this one feels so fucking chintzy to be like it's got the thing where like 
every three scenes there's there's a scene of them radioing into dispatch where we have uh lucille the the large dispatch worker who, uh, it, it, every time they're just like all right let's give lucille a line i'm like who is this character it's like when you're watching a, a super fucking low budget movie and you're like oh, this person must have, like, contributed $10,000 to the movie or something. Like, they, they're just fucking cutting your head every five minutes to be like, oh! Uh, no, n- no one contributed $10,000 to this movie. Yeah, I, I don't understand what the hell's happening in this, and I hate it. And, yeah, no. It's a bad, bad movie. I, I suppose I prefer the first one. I'd rather not watch either ever again, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think the first one comes out on top by having at least kind of character arcs, even though they're really kind of boring and they don't do much. But the first 10 minutes, I think like the first 10 minutes of China O'Brien 2, probably the best the series has because it has stripper assassin and magic show mm-hmm. killer. I think that happens within the first 10 minutes or so. And I'm like, cool, this is going to be fun. And then no, just nothing. So, and that's really sums it up. It's it's like these are this is what Roth Rock settled for, and and mm-hmm. it's tricky because you know part of it is like, did she have to? You know, could the studio like why why couldn't she have you know gotten in on something else? Like the nineties, they made plenty of great action movies. Steven Seagal came up like late eighties and nineties was but his again, time. On paper, this sounds like a great opportunity, sure because. It, you're working with a production company from Hong Kong that has made you a star in Hong Kong. You've got this director who's well-respected and, you know, launched Bruce Lee in, in America into the stratosphere. And, you know, you've, you've got all these elements. You're working with people that you know are talented, with your, two of your co-stars, and you think it's going to work. And then the reality is, is sometimes you don't have enough money, you don't have enough time. And sometimes you're working with Robert Klaus, who's like literally the worst director for action imaginable. And this is this is what happens. And it's sad because I don't know. I, I don't think Cynthia Rothrock has a lot of major regrets about her career. But just thinking about how immensely talented she is and the fact that she never really had that huge breakthrough moment is kind of depressing. It yeah, is depressing, she might not. but she might not have regrets about her career. Fine. I have regrets about her career. Yeah, yeah. She fucking rules. <laughs> I feel like, and then watching this too, and part of this is because it's so fucking tame, but it it makes me think this should have just been a television show. Like, why isn't she just Walker, Texas Ranger? Yeah, that's that's the universe we should have lived in. (laughs) It it really feels, yeah, like like that kind of safe thing. I know um, in Writing Wrongs, uh, the Vinegar Syndrome Blue, they have an interview with Rothrock, which is which is entertaining, and she does mention that she signed on at some point in the early 90s for a movie with, I think, Sylvester Stallone. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who the other person was, but she signed on for this movie, and it was going to be, you know, it seemed like a much bigger movie, much better chance than anything else she'd worked on. And for some reason, it fell through. But for signing on to that, she had to turn down the possibility of a China O'Brien 3 and 4. Well, that was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and but that like it really sums up like yeah, the, Rothrock deserves better. And like, what's really frustrating about these movies is that like we mentioned earlier, she's the lead. These are like her projects to showcase her, and she kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And it's not her fault. Like Rothrock's fights are solid. She you know it's solid as anything else in the movie. 
she can move, she can do all this stuff. And they just, they don't make anything special of it. And eventually, I think they're like, frankly, it seems, comes to a point where they seem more enamored with Keith Cook, who I guess maybe is more of like a high, like flying kick specialist, you know, which, you know, fair enough. But it's Rothrock's movies. Like, he's just a backup guy. Why are, you know, by China O'Brien too, I swear to God, he seems to just have more, more time fighting generally. And it, yeah, it's just depressing because Rothrock did, like, at this point, you know, she... She was being brought in in, like, you know, Millionaire's Express in, in Hong Kong as, like, you know, a, a what do you say, like, a special guest villain, you know, and, and getting to do these crazy fights with Sammo Hung and, and Yun Biao and so on. Um, who couldn't see the potential in that? And instead, she's China O'Brien, and she's kind of like, she's a lady, and she does some fighting, but, you know, she's not, you know girly enough or whatever i don't know it didn't fit their their demographics they're going for it just feels like the whole thing was you know just botched and then the rest of rothrock's career it feels like was always you know kind of uh like a lot of them she's paired with a guy you know she she's like the the woman who stands next to the man who leads the movie and it's it's lame it's just it's god damn it how did they fuck this up i don't know you know, but, and uh, I don't, and know, I don't know, you know, day, maybe, maybe the audiences weren't ready for it. Maybe, you know, maybe this is just the cruelty of a shitty audience. I don't know, but it, she deserved better. She did deserve better. And, and God, the looks she was serving us in these, in these movies too. Her bangs, just incredible. <laughs> um, holy fuck, her outfits looking like a Kung Fu Paula Poundstone, just powerful, powerful outfits. Wall to wall, everything she puts on, amazing. Uh, but yeah, at, anyways, it, it's a lot of wasted potential. It's kind of a bummer. I'm glad she's not upset about it because, it, yeah, it hurts. It hurts me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, it, we're running long, but uh, that's all right. I, I just want to briefly say that this movie ends with them attending the funeral for this fucking snitch who everyone seems to hate. Uh, and, uh, What's his name? Richard Norton is is just fucking decked out in a Canadian tuxedo. Uh, oh god, he looks amazing. Yeah, I, I, everyone else is dressed appropriately, and he's just fucking there, jeaned to IL. And yeah, it just ends with them walking away, and like her AD yard going like, "I'll miss him so much," and slam to credits. I'm like, <laughs> no one else will miss this guy. It's, uh, no one would miss any. Like as soon as the credits roll in both of these movies. You will not miss any of the characters. You will not fondly recollect Dakota. You won't even remember him a week from now. Listen, despite his crimes, I really enjoyed Dakota's time on screen before I learned about who he really was. <laughs> last, last thing I just want to point out is China O'Brien 2 does have a sequence where there's a public assassination attempt uh, cloaked by, like, patriotic fireworks. Um, and I just want to mm -hmm. say that reminded me of Blowout, which is a good film. Yeah, it was... <laughs> there's 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 a blowout homage here so <laughs> definitely yeah look forward to that's that that's definitely what they were if going you can find for the movies but again it's like I, I think they're available on dvd but uh, as like a combo like cheapy combo thing but because it's out of print it's like 50 bucks uh they're not currently streaming uh not available at public torrent sites so if you want to watch china o'brien one and two Good luck. Well, email us uh, <laughs> optimismvaccine at gmail.com. We might be able to help you out with that. Get the hook yeah, up we'll, there. We'll hook you oh, up. yeah, the, the last we'll thing the, the last up. thing to point out as well, just as another, because I feel like we should mention it, right, is that the, uh, 
as in the first film when Shine O'Brien has just killed a child and she feels bad about it despite being a police officer. She decides she has to travel back to Utah. She travels back to this like mournful 90s soft rock song uh, that's done by, I, I don't remember the, the name of the group, but it's actually Tori Amos uh, singing on it. Uh, she wrote the song. Uh, this is like, I think prior to Little Earthquakes, her like debut album under her own name. Uh, and she didn't want to be credited under her own name. I guess she she saw enough to, I guess, know that China O'Brien wasn't going to be the show or the, the, the production that would break Tori Amos to the, the masses. So, uh, but if you are a Tori Amos diehard uh, fan, you're going to have to watch China O'Brien. And I'm very sorry for that. But, uh, <laughs> but you only have to watch like the first half hour, I think. But I think it's literally like 29 minutes in. It ends when she gets back to, to Park City, Utah. And then you can just leave. You don't have to watch the rest. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's a fun Easter egg. <laughs> Jesus, Tori Amos. Good move leaving your name off of this one. All right. Well, gentlemen, start with you, Myros. What are you putting over this week? You know, I, I watched a movie today specifically for the purposes of putting it over, and then I didn't like it. Uh, but I'll talk <laughs> about it anyway. I, I watched uh, Prey because uh, I was like, well, this is, this is like a kick-ass lady and people seem to really like it. I'll give it a watch. Uh, I mean, I guess if you compare it to like the last Predator movie, then it's some modern masterpiece. But, uh, but really, it's, it's not very good. It's, uh, it, it gets okay in like the back half hour or last half hour. But the, the problem is that it seems like their ethos was boy, these Predator movies really gotten out of hand. And Shane Black really fucked us with that fucking disaster thing with autism and whatnot. Uh, so we better get like, we better strip this thing down. Let's, let's get back to the roots of, of what Predator used to be. But the, the thing is you can't just like do a soft remake of Predator because I know what Predator is, and I know that this is a Predator movie, so if your whole movie is like an hour of people like wondering what's happening in these woods, like, oh, this is this is strange, I'm seeing all these dead animals, what could possibly be happening? And, and I'm watching it going, well, I'm going to take a wild stab and say it's probably the Predator. Uh, mm, so yeah. that kind of robs it of this tension and mystery, and, and it's just kind of boring. Uh, once they just embrace the fact that there's a predator here and we're going to fight the predator. It's all right. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a little late in the game when that happens. And, uh, I, I'd be hard pressed to recommend the thing. I, I personally, it's the sort of movie you watch and go, well, if this wasn't attached to IP, uh, it might be something. They might've had something here, but instead, because we, we've got to just reboot, remake, sequelize, prequelize, uh, it ends up feeling far too familiar and stale. So uh, I, I put in the effort to watch something uh, so that I, I could put over something relevant, but I, I fail. <laughs> I appreciate the effort, although it does kind of betray the spirit of, of putting something over. So uh, it, I don't know. C plus effort, I guess. Jack, what are you putting over this week? Well, well, first I'll say I, I watched Prey and I, I thought it was pretty good, honestly. So, you know. Oh, suck it, Myros. You, you, just, you can just watch that if you like. I mean, I don't, you know, what did, what did it matter? It's really weird they didn't put that in theaters. I think they could have made a lot of money, and instead they made nothing. So that's really good, but whatever. That's that's the movies, folks. 
uh, I'm going to put over a, a movie I just watched again for the first time in way too long, and I'm glad it kind of held up for me in its own compromised way, which is Hellraiser Bloodline. Which, as I think about it, the, it's the space first... one? Yeah, the space one. Um, which was released a year before Event Horizon, which is also basically Hellraiser in space. Um, but yeah, Hellraiser Bloodline, well, it's, I think it was actually the first Hellraiser I ever watched, and I've always kind of had a soft spot for it. I really enjoyed it back in the day, and watching it again, you know, there's, there's a lot of really fun stuff in there. It's a very enjoyable movie, but it is also very obviously a very compromised movie. And, and you know, anyone who watches it will see it's directed by Alan Smithy, uh, Kevin Yor, I'm not sure how you pronounce his surname, the makeup effects artist, um, he, he took his name off it, he was, he wanted to make a grand epic thing, I mean, Clive Barker was involved in the writing, uh, you know, it was gonna be this whole tripartite structure set in, like, 1700s France to current day New York to 2100s in space, gonna do all this stuff, it was gonna tie together stuff from all the previous movies, and then some fucking studio executives are like, uh, where's Pinhead? Pinhead should show up earlier and just fuck the whole movie. He basically was like, no, Pinhead needs to be in here, like, first, like, start, start of the movie. And so they just couldn't make it work, because Pinhead otherwise wasn't going to show up until much later in the movie, because they were going to talk about other stuff instead. So it's, it's a really mixed up, compromised movie, but you know, honestly, it's full of really fun, pulpy, gory visuals. It's got a lot of crazy stuff in it. You can kind of see the bones of some interesting elements. Um, honestly, you know, it's 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 pretty good fun. I mean, it, it, Frank, if you're down for part four of a horror franchise, you, you probably you've already, you've already seen Hellraiser 4, probably. But if you haven't, go check it out. It's, it's actually pretty good fun. And then go and watch Hellraiser 5 and 6, which are also actually surprisingly not, not terrible either. Uh, and then they get real bad, so you you can watch those later on too if you want. Just go all the way to Hellraiser <laughs> yeah. Eleven, and then they remake it. It's going to be a trans performer, I believe, playing uh, Pinhead in the new one, which is actually interesting. So maybe they'll make a good Hellraiser movie again. It could happen. It'll be a whole thing. So just get behind, you know, get ahead of the curve, and just watch Hellraiser Four now, in waiting for the next one to come out. Gonna make sure to watch Hellworld. That's the one to watch. Hellworld. Oh yeah, Hell is Hellworld. Is, is that the video game oh, yeah. one? Yeah, I think that's the one with Henry Cavill in it, <laughs> like in a very, very early role. Which I I only found out later. I had no idea who he was when I watched it. So I should probably probably watch it, that one again too. I believe the that the cast member who was famous at the time is Lance Henriksen. But uh, yes, he's okay. in. I think he's in two of them in <laughs> connected capacity. That's some oh sad God. shit, Lance Henriksen. Stop making hell rich. <laughs> Which is super like Peter Coyote in like uh, Return of the Living Dead's part like four and five, which are like rave to the grave and whatever. <laughs> but like, he's in both of them, but I think he's like not connected characters, this as is I recall. Now we're gonna maybe for October we'll make we'll tell Sean and be like, okay, so you're watching Hell all the Hellraisers. <laughs> But just four through twelve. <laughs> that that could be, great, be that man. could certainly be a podcast. Uh, can we really kick on, on the actually, Patreon for that? We could we could. Well, and and I've gotten a, a non-patron, so it was uh, it was ignored. But uh, there was a request to to talk about Hellraiser four at some point. I don't even know what it was in relation to, but people people have been clamoring for it. So um, yeah, and, and plus I feel like we've been 
really like kids gloves with Sean for October for a couple of years. So maybe we need to throw something like a little curveball. Uh, we got something in mind that won't be, it, it might not be terrible films, but it certainly is not kid gloves. So uh, <laughs> stay mm. tuned for that. I don't know. I mean, we, where do you go after you watch Joe D'Amato porn? And the answer is, I will find when out. Would you watch Joe D'Amato porn and get into Joe D'Amato? <laughs> that, 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 was his, that was his big revelation. Uh, all right. Well, for me, I'm, I'm putting over a couple of things this week. Uh, first of all, I'm putting over pig races. Was at the state fair today, had a couple drinks, watched the pig races. You ever seen a pig race, Jack? Um, yeah, I've seen uh, cops. You lived, you lived in Kentucky, yeah. It's, it's great. It's, it's really fun. And uh, I don't think it counts as animal cruelty because they just, they just go in a circle one time and then they all get animal crackers at the end, so that's fun. You see, meanwhile, uh, I have COVID. Yeah. We were going to take our dachshund to a dachshund race this weekend, and we couldn't oh, yeah. because we're, we still, we're still have to stay inside. So that sucks. you got to go well, pig racing. If you want a second chance... Uh, Milwaukee German Fest. I don't know when it is, but they have they have wiener dog races, so ah. it's an option. Saying if you guys want if you guys want to come up, you're, you're always welcome. Uh, so aside from animals running in circles, uh, I, I watched I watched Highlander the other day for the first <laughs> time in a long time. Highlander fucking kicks ass. Um, I, I now it you know it's not without its issues. Mostly uh, Christopher Lambert, he he can't act. Let's be honest, uh, he's awful. Uh, but Clancy Brown as the Kurgan, holy shit. You want to talk about a fucking villain, a guy who almost gets his head chopped off and he's holding his head on with like safety pins and he's just a complete maniacal psychopath. Fantastic. Really fantastic. So if, if only for the Clancy Brown performance, uh, watch Highlander. Don't don't probably don't watch any of the other ones. There's a lot of sequels. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't watch those. I don't think Highlander Endgame is going to suddenly reveal itself as something worth your time but uh original highlander much better than you probably think it is and it's uh it's directed by russell mckay who did like resident evil extinction and uh, uh razorback razorback's fucking great oh, razorback is so, good yeah yeah and he's really going for it in this movie and notably because i i think there's a real commitment in this film because it is, it's some hokey ass dorky, like dungeons and dragons level shit, especially with the flashbacks. But he sort of overcompensates with ridiculous camera movements for things that don't need it. Like there's this scene where our, the titular Highlander is he's arrested and he's, he's about to be interrogated and they're just like sitting in this cop's office and the camera just kind of like swoops in like at floor level and comes back up. It's some real Sam Raimi shit. But uh, yeah, I, I can only describe his camera work as aggressively swoopy throughout. And uh, there's some really nifty fight scenes because of that. And it will it will surprise you. Uh, so uh, watch Highlander again. You probably watched it. It's on like Hulu or some shit. Fucking watch it. Uh, other than that, if you enjoyed the show today, that's fantastic. There's a link in the description of the show. And that'll take you to our Patreon page, and you can give us money. Why would you give us money? That's a really great question as well. And the answer is because podcasting is expensive. How will we purchase a high-powered firearm for Adam Myros? An AR-15 with a bump stock. And you know, Myros, you know, AR stands for Assault Rifle 15 uh, with a bump stock. Everybody knows that. 
And uh, how do you do that? Well, yeah, you give us a couple bucks and we'll, we're just going to buy a whole bunch of guns or shirts about guns. I saw a shirt at the state fair today uh, that was really good. I saw a couple of really good ones, but uh, my favorite was one that says peace be with you. But peace is P-I-E-C-E. And then it's got a uh, it's got a handgun on it uh, and the handgun is painted with the American flag and it says NRA on it. So just just a lot going on there. Is that something you think you'd wear, Myros, to, like, the, the shooting range? I'm trying to think of what I would rather not receive, you know? Like, uh, well, what is the worst gift? The, the actual gun or the shirt uh, the dealing with the gun? I, uh, with, both with enough, are reprehensible in their own way. With, with enough Patreon uh, subscriptions, we may be able to test to find what the worst gift is. I thought I thought yeah. we had established, although this was off air, that uh, I, I, where I stated my preference uh, for a rifle because it would be more difficult to commit suicide. But then then we had settled <laughs> on uh, on the fact that I would only accept the Jack Nicholson Joker gun if you were going to go through with the this Joker thing. gun, which I looked it up. It's a revolver with a twenty one inch barrel. <laughs> well, this is this is so, the only thing that's yeah, acceptable. special modification. <laughs> Which and that I think that'd be funny too, because then we could dress you up like as a rootin' tootin' cowboy, but you're just pulling this big long gun out. You know, it's like you're in a you're in a, like a, a shootout. They say draw, but you take extra long to get your gun out. Yeah, there's a lot of fun fun. It's, options it's the only you, way so. I can get behind this this gun narrative is if we're talking about the uh, the Jack Nicholson Joker gun. I've already yeah, forgotten why it. we need to get Adam a gun. I just remember we need to do it. So that's we enough gotta for me. get him a gun. He needs a gun. This guy needs a gun. What if we got you a drone? With, like, a bomb on it. Would that be cool? What if we got you a 3D printer so you could make ghost guns? You like that I mean, idea? You can give me a 3D printer. I'm sure that would be useful uh, for things outside of gun. <laughs> you know. okay. What have you got against what else Shinzo do with Abe? Those? <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, you make, you make cool homemade guns or you make, uh, what are those things called? You know, the little little trinkets you put on your Croc shoes? You can make those with a 3D printer. I don't so know what the that's, fuck that's that an option means, too. but that's all right. You don't know about that? The little little croc accessories? Wow. I thought you I thought you were into that shit. No, I Anyways, wear shoes uh, like yeah, a so, human, you know, not, not I'm not gardening all fucking day with <laughs> Wow. Man, fucking mask off, Adam. A lot, a lot of anger there, I think. We probably should take that mm -hmm. to the range, Adam. Ah, okay. Typical gun. I didn't guy know we were all so fucking bushes. into crocs around these parts. This is a croc friendly podcast. Yeah, you know they make Margaritaville Crocs now, and it comes with a, a bottle opener and a shot glass on the shoe, so you can drink shots out of your shoe. Well, why don't you try wearing shoes, people, and, you know, opening a bottle with one's hands. Wow. That, see, once again, Adam Myros, the tough guy, he's got a, a I'm not a, a tough guy, I'm just talking about civility, opener. and what, the, I thought we were talking about margaritas, what does one need a bottle opener? These have screw-on caps. It's Margaritaville. It's about the island lifestyle. You know, if you're going to call God, your place Margaritaville, you damn well not be drinking beer. You drink the Margaritaville fucking Rita. That's just where you waste away. But you can also get a bucket of Coronas. It's, no, it's if vibe, you know man. the you song, just... he, he's anti-beer. He blew out his damn flip-flop from someone leaving a, a, a top uh, out on the sidewalk. You know, the man is, is anti-beer. It's the narrative of Buffett. Well, the, but why did he create Landshark beer then? Well, you know, he's a capitalist. Yeah. He's, he's betraying his, his true nature. I see. Okay. Well, uh, aside from that, yeah, we're probably going to buy Margaritaville Crocs. But yeah, you can, you can give us money and it would be helpful because podcasting is expensive. 
but we're going to give you a gift in exchange. Uh, if you donate any amount of money, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. Blu-ray, DVD, VHS tape. You don't know what the fuck you're getting, but you're getting something. And uh, also at higher tiers, hey, we got we had our first uh, patron poll, and that's going to determine an upcoming episode. So super exciting. It was specifically designed to upset Adam Myros. So uh, hopefully you guys voted accordingly. And uh, yeah, and you know what? If you donate at the highest tier, you actually get to dictate what we watch. Uh, you want more Rothrock? We'll give you more Rothrock. It, it, whatever your little heart desires, we can make it happen. If you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, you can send those to optimismvaccine at gmail.com or tweet at us at optimismvaccine. Hey, Steve, you forgot one patron benefit, which is that if you, if you donate at the $5 and up level, uh, we will read your name on air. And those names are uh, yeah. Paula, CWW, Dustin, Evan, and Ryan. Thank you very much for your support. Appreciate you guys. You just one, one, one step closer to that, that big old Glock. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's everything. Uh, will we do more Cynthia Rothrock? Perhaps. Cause I own Tiger Claw one through three on Blu-ray. So fuck it. We might as well. Uh, but we've, we've got, we've got more good shit coming your way. We probably have some more, you know, uh, more, more highbrow cinema coming your way too. And of course the patron episodes. So, uh, that's about it. A stellar ending. <laughs> really, really just <laughs> caught out. Uh, that's it. Uh, we're fucking done. <laughs>